Please stand to your feet. Uh, we're going to read the scripture for this morning out of Philippians 1. So uh, follow along as I read the text. This is Philippians 1, verses 1 through 11. It says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus or who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of our part, your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more, with knowledge in all discernments, so that you may approve what is excellence, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have invited us and called us as members of your body that dates back thousands of years to be partners in the gospel. Would you help us see this in the name of Jesus? Amen. You may take a seat. Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, in my early, late teens, early 20s, I was in a band that had the opportunity to travel and tour. And our drummer, Dango, we were on this one tour that we now affectionately call the dive tour. So if you think of like a dive bar where it's not great, just that's pretty much what this tour is. We played in like front of two or three people all the time. We were poor. We ate out of like Nally Valley chicken and Tostino's pizzas was my go-to, okay? Thankfully, I was 19 and my body could handle that. If I did that right now, it would be disaster. But one of the things that came out of that time was um, our drummer, Dango, he, every, every night or every day on this dive tour, he would say, hey, let's get everybody together. I was like, okay. He said, what are you thankful for? I was like, oh, I don't, I mean, every day while we were like in like the worst tour that you could possibly imagine, we were always reciting what we were thankful for. And it was a great practice. It was something that like, I still hold on to this, to this day. And the other thing that he would regularly talk about was, hey, let's, let's have some fellowship. And so obviously he's a pastor's kid, so he would just use all these Christianese languages throughout the time. It was wonderful. And we would use that word fellowship as, hey, it's time to hang out, right? Like, okay, we're gonna do the like, work stuff over here, but fellowship, is when you just get together and just be friends with one another. And I've realized like this is kind of the common way we think of that term fellowship. If you uh, grew up in the church, you may have grown up in a, with a place that actually had a building 
And what was the place that most places called the atrium? What was that called? The fellowship hall. And what do you do at the fellowship hall? You eat and you hang out. Like that's fellowship. And so in our, in our imagination, when we think of fellowship, it's usually involves food and hanging out. Now, if you know me, am I against either of those things? Absolutely not. Like those are two of my favorite things in the world. But the problem is, is we're using the wrong word. That is not fellowship. We also have this other word that we sometimes misuse called hospitality. Kind of some, it's kind of similar, right? We think fellowship is hanging out with, just hanging out usually with other Christians is when you're fellowship. And hospitality is when you invite people over into your house and you cook. Usually Christians, right? Like we want to be hospitable to one another. So I'm going to have Christians over and we're going to share a meal. Are those good things? Oh, you better believe it. I'm all for it. Let's make it happen all the time. But it's again a wrong word. And I think we're starting to see hospitality change. Hospitality biblically is the welcoming of an outsider. It's actually inviting somebody into your home that's a stranger or different from you or holds different beliefs than you do. That's biblical hospitality. So that's great and good. And fellowship is what Paul is talking about here. What does he say in verse five? Why does Paul have joy in this passage? It's because of their partnership. Now, if you have another translation, you may see the word fellowship. Fellowship is, he's not talking about getting together with a bunch of Christians to have a potluck. I'm sure they did that a lot. But what is this partnership? What is fellowship? And what does that mean for you and me in our lives today? We are in the middle of uh, the series that we're calling Citizens. It's the joy-filled life in God's kingdom. We're, we started last week going through the book of Philippians and how uh, Paul calls Christians citizens of heaven. Not citizens of the empire, but our allegiance is primarily placed in Jesus himself. In his not only saving of us, but in his lordship of that. So this whole series we're looking at, okay, what does it mean to be citizens? How do we act in God's kingdom? What does it look like to be filled with joy? And he starts twice in this passage. He links to this word partnership in verse uh, seven partakers with me in grace in the Greek is similar and it's linked to the Greek word koinonia. So I want to say koinonia. Oh, come on. Say koinonia. So we see this elsewhere in the scriptures, Acts 2.42, when this is one of the basic understandings of how the early church functioned. The four things they did is they adhered to the apostles' teaching. They got together for fellowship, for the breaking of bread, and for prayer. In our modern day, it's like, okay, we get together for a Bible study, we hang out with one another, We share a meal with one another, and we should probably pray together too. Like, you're like, that's actually a pretty good MC meeting, if you ask me. Like, we should do those things. And yeah, that's true. But fellowship is not just being together with people. 
Paul also uses the word in this talking about fellowship or participation in the Spirit. He also says that we have fellowship or participation or sharing in Christ's sufferings. It's like, I don't really feel like hanging out in Christ's sufferings. That, that doesn't sound like a joyable experience. So what is this partnership? What is koinonia? What is fellowship? This is what D.A. Carson, a really well-known, respected theologian, he says this. The heart of true fellowship is self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision. Self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision. I want to focus on that shared vision piece for a moment. There's this aspect and there's this really, I I told the crew early this morning that I was not going to bring this up. So I'm not going to name this massive trilogy by an English guy by name. But there's this, this series of books that involves a ring. Please tell me. I'm not going to say it. I said I wouldn't say it. Okay. And, and this fellowship is part of this circular device on their finger. Okay. Fellowship was not them hanging out. Fellowship was them working together, having this bond, but it wasn't just a bond for the itself. It was a bond for the purpose of something. That's fellowship. When you, and so there's two dynamics that I want to talk about this morning. There's the bond that I'm going to use the word friendship. There's a friendship that comes from this. And there's a co-laboring that comes with this. So koinonia involves a friendship and a co-laboring or a partnership in the mission. So let's look at the friendship piece of this. Look at verses 7 and 8. Listen to the way in which Paul has an emotional reaction or thoughts to them. He, He says, it's right for me to feel this way because I hold you in my heart. Verse 8, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ. I mean, how often do you talk to people like that? Right? Listen to his heart for this people. Now they, the Philippians, were probably Paul's greatest supporters. You could look at the book of Philippians as a thank you from a missionary to financial supporters. Because they, even when not asked, they would hear about what was happening in Paul's life. Go about taking a collection for them and sending finances to Paul, even when he wasn't asking. Okay? They are the church that in 2 Corinthians, Paul praises as being really, really poor, but very, very generous. So you can understand Paul is in prison. These Philippians are hearing word about it and they're sending aid to him. So he like there's a deep friendship. It's probably safe to say that not only were the Philippians some of Paul's closest friends, but the people who he the person who he wrote this book with, it's Paul and Timothy. Timothy was like a child in the faith for Paul. So Paul has these friends 
that he's working with. And so part of koinonia that the scriptures call us to is friendship. And I, as if I look around in our day and age, the lack of friendships in our generation is alarming. And I want to speak specifically for a moment to men. Because the lack of friendships, particularly in men, are very alarming. So this is a study done by Gallup and A&E. He said, it says this, since 1990 to 2001, the percentage of men who had at least six close friends went from 50% to 25%. So only 25% of men in 2021 had at least six close friends. Why is that a big deal? If you look at other studies that talk about children and what is the consistent thing that will bring children from being raised in the church to being adults that also follow Jesus. There's one common denominator. It's six adult figures their friend's age. That's it. So not only is this bad for the men here, it's also setting up kids to not have an experience of examples to continue walking in the faith. You following me? Only 25% of men. 20% of men say they have zero close friends. Zero. Why is this a problem? Research shows that a lack of social bonds like this do have physical problems. It weakens the immune system. It makes more one, uh, likely to suffer from ailments like Alzheimer's, sleep disruptions, high blood pressure, heart disease, inflammation, diabetes, and cancer. All because of a lack of social bonds. Okay? Now, these are really dire for both men and women. Men, though, are more, less likely than women to share their personal feelings and receive emotional support. So, women... 41% of women received emotional support this week. And 48% shared their feelings with a friend. Now, I'm going to focus on that is staggeringly low. Less than 50% of women have what they would consider friends that they can share their feelings with and have the emotional support that they need in order to be able to be strong and continue in life. That's terrible. That's so scary. For men, though, it's 21% have received emotional support and 30% have shared their feelings. Less than one-third of men have had a, a relationship where they can share what they feel with somebody else. 49% of all people told a friend that they loved them this week. A friend, not a spouse, a friend. Only 25% of men have that type of relationship. Now, you may be like, well, that's just a kind of a girly thing to do. Men don't share that they love each other. Bull. Look at what Paul's saying to these people. He yearns for them with the affection of Christ. This passage calls us to abound more and more in love. So to be able to express it, to have common friendships where you can just say, man, I love you, man. And it's not weird, it's not like, uh, like not sexual, it's just what friends do with one another. It's how they express themselves. 
more than men are four times more likely as a result to commit suicide than women. Like young men, especially right now, there is a staggering, alarming reality of suicide among them. And our society used to have these many third places where men and women can socialize, communities, pubs, um, clubs, social groups. And how many of us are involved in any of those from a friendship perspective? Less and less are they prevalent in our society. Now, there's lots of reasons why that may be. I'm not going to go into that. But what I want to call us to and recognize is you and I are not just called to have friendships. Because what is koinonia? It's friendship and co-laboring. We don't just, we're not just called to it out of obligation. You and I desperately need friends. People that we could call. I saw, um, I sent this to our MC leaders. There's a guy named Simon Sinek. He's a, a motivational speaker, got some great books. And he um, and his group of friends, they have what's called the eight second rule. Or eight minute rule, excuse me. And if they have this group of friends and they text one another and they say, hey, I need eight minutes. And that is their code word for saying, hey, I'm in a really rough spot and I just need somebody to talk to. And what studies show is those eight minutes will drastically turn the emotional reality of that person from being in a dire situation to a helpful and able to function situation just because they have a friend that they can go to to talk to about something. This isn't like foo-foo stuff. This is reality. This is the depths of what, how God created us. Remember, how has God from eternity expressed his love in relationship as Father, Son, Spirit? It's always been that God has given love and received love. The Son has always been the recipient of the Father's outpouring of love. That's glory being given to the Son. And we are made in his image. So it's no surprise that we are in desperate need of relationship if we are to function in this world. Gospel-centered friends that are not bound by preferences, but they're bound by us being united in Christ. That's what Paul's talking about here. He's not saying, hey, you guys all like the same music or you all like the same recreational activity. What brings the church's friendships to the, the core is because we have Christ in common. That's what he's saying, your partnership from the gospel. He holds, because we're partakers with him of grace. We are recipients of grace together. Now, does that mean you're always going to have the same preferences? You're going to like the same stuff? No. But the bond that's found in Christ is more profound than those preferences allow us to have. And that's what our call is to this day. Is to be friends. And honestly, like I'm becoming more and more convinced that one of the most missional things you can do is to be friends with people. Build friendships. To have friends. Like deep friends. Not like, hey, I DM you on Insta every so often. Like you can send memes to one another because that's funny. But like deep bonded friendships. And my generation and younger, it's becoming less and less normal. Like, we don't have friends. We, we have our spouses. My spouse is supposed to be my best friend. Yeah, that's true. And that doesn't mean you don't be friends with others. You, you, we need one another. 
And so being, having friends, sharing friends, having a group of friends that you can have the eight-minute rule with, I think that's one, or the eight-minute um, bond with, I think that's beautiful. And can you imagine a lost, because what's also growing in our society as friendships go down, loneliness is on the rise. And loneliness is skyrocketing right now. We are as connected as you can possibly be. I can connect to somebody across the world in seconds. I can know what's happening in the outreaches of another continent by opening up, by pressing two buttons on, my, on this device. And yet, I, we are more lonely than we've ever been. So, what does the gospel call us to? What is koinonia? Koinonia is partially friendships. It's having that bond. It's, but it's just one part to the puzzle. Yes, koinonia is friendships, but it's more than that. It's a partnership, a co-laboring into the mission of the gospel. And what is the mission that Paul was on and that Paul and Jesus instructed the church to have after the resurrection? It's to make disciples. It's to be, go about the work of helping one another, raising up and maturing in the faith. So this fellowship, being united with Christ and one another, that's what we work towards. Part of the work is when one is suffering, the others it's suffer with one another. You look at the New Testament, every time you go there, and just, if you see the word one another, just circle it. And see what Jesus, the scriptures call us to do with one another. Suffer with one another. Bear one another's burdens. To share one another's. To eat with one another. To care for one another. There's a lot of those in there. But there's this also a common endeavor. We're working towards a shared vision, as D.A. Carson says, right? We're going out to do something together. So koinonia, fellowship, partnership, is not just being friends. It's working together. And in the church specifically, it means that we are to go about doing the work of making disciples, of discipleship. So what is discipleship? This is our definition. I want you to burn this into your brain. Discipleship is increasingly submitting to the empowering lordship of Jesus in every area of life. Increasingly, step by step, bit by bit, submitting to, like laying my life down, the empowering lordship of Jesus. This is citizenship language. And that continues today. We are, as you all know, called to make disciples. Every single person who professes faith. Now the question is, how is the church doing at that? How is the church nationally doing at making disciples? More research, because I just nerded out on research this week, and I like numbers, I guess, today. So, according to Barna, how are we doing at discipleship? The, the mission, the co-laboring together. 40% of Christians aren't engaged in discipleship. 40%. They define that where they are actively helping somebody grow in the faith and moving someone closer to Christ. 40%. 56% of Christians tell Barna their spiritual life is completely private. I'm going to get to this graph in a second, but listen to that for a second. Over half of people say their life in Christ is completely private. Now compare that to koinonia. 
where we have this deep bond with one another and we're working together in the same direction. That is not a private relationship. Brothers and sisters in the faith, that language that's all throughout this is not a private thing. The enlightenment messed with our brains that made us think that religion is something you do on your own time and then you get to do everything else. That's rubbish. It's garbage. The world does not work that way. So 56% of people think that their spiritual life is completely private. 50% of Christians say it's hard to find time to be with other Christians because they are too busy. One in two means half of you saying, I just don't have the time for this right now. And only one third are very willing to invest time in others on what they know. So that's not just being a disciple. 33% of Christians are willing to follow the command of Jesus to pass on what they know. Now, does that mean you got to be willing to stand up here and open a text and give a sermon? No, that's not what discipleship is. This is teaching. This is not discipleship. Discipleship is life on life. It's rubbing shoulders, opening hearts, vulnerable, accessible, as we'll talk about in a minute. But only a third are willing to say, hey, I at least know this much. I'll help you do that as well. Barnes, this is a quote, Barnes findings suggest the decisive factor is not who has the hours in the day, but who is willing to creatively commit hours from, from the hours they do have to growing in their faith and becoming qualified or equipped to help others grow too. Only 28% of Christians are being disciples and making disciples. And this is what happens when those uh, Christians are walking with Jesus in these various ways. So up top you see the dark line is all Christians. The, the teal is um, those that are in a discipleship community. We'll call that a missional community or DNA group. Um, the next one is, uh, the next group is only discipling others. So you're, you're not in a community of people, but you may be doing it one-on-one. The green is I'm only a disciple. Like I'm not helping somebody else. I'm just doing it for myself. And then the red is not engaged in discipleship at all. I'm going to just point out one of them. My relationship with Jesus brings me deep joy and satisfaction. I would say that's something that all of us would want to. And notice the difference between somebody that's not engaged in discipleship at all. Somebody who's in a discipleship community is more than twice as likely to say that that's true of them. My relationship with Jesus impacts the way I live my life. Again, twice more than twice. We should not be surprised when graphs like this line up with what we find in Scripture. It's what we are called to. Now, this is not how dare you for not. That's not what this is. This is a do you see the benefit and the need that you have for these things? This is a a plea to open our eyes. And if the kingdom of the world is more and more in isolation, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is more and more being bound up in relationships and friendships and working alongside one another. And one more, the graph, this barriers to why um, Christians don't make disciples 
37% of them don't think they're equipped or qualified. 25%, no one has suggested it or asked me. 22%, I just haven't thought about it. Okay, so this is a quote. In summary, Christians tell Barna that lack of confidence, lack of thought, and lack of opportunity are the greatest hurdles to discipleship. Well, guess what? For the next few minutes, I want to get over every single one of those barriers for each and every one of you. And what we want to do is this is the call to what we call DNA groups. DNA groups. Now, we have what we call three disciple-making environments. We have our gathering. This is where we come. We, we gather together. We, are, um, we experience gods with one another. We exhort one another in the scriptures. Like this has its place in our church family. We have missional communities, what we would call the primary organizing structure of making disciples. Family of servant missionaries sent to make disciples. This is our discipleship community where you are building friends, but you're also co-laboring for the lost. We also have this thing called what we call DNA groups. We haven't talked about them in a while, but I want to emphasize this one because DNA groups will, if you engage in them, allow you to check the boxes of getting over the, the fear or the, the lack of confidence, the lack of thought, and the lack of opportunity. We have, over the years, dating back almost 20 years of Soma's, not Soma Federal Way, but Soma Family Inception, we've intentionally deconstructed the life of the evangelical church. We intentionally say no to a lot of things because we want to provide space in our lives so that we can do these one another life-on-life relationships. The call to discipleship is in one way to be in a DNA group where you are at the bare basic level building friends and helping one another grow up in Christ. That's the whole purpose of a DNA group. It's to be visible, it's to be known, It's so that you can be accepted. You can be seen eye to eye. You can be mutually invited to further trust in Jesus, opening your hearts to one another and accepting, loving, way, challenging one another to grow in the gospel. Like this is the environment where you get to do this. It's it's so beneficial, so helpful. And so... What does DNA stand for? Let me really quick. It stands, it's an acronym. Discover, Nurture, Act. DNA. It's really the process that we invite you to. Discover Jesus in the scriptures. Nurture one another's hearts in the gospel. And act in accordance to what the spirit told you to do. To be disciples, to make disciples, literally is partnering with the spirit who's already doing stuff. You don't have to force it. Jesus is already at work in one another. You just got to be curious and find out where that is. What's God doing in your life? And the brotherhood, the sisterhood, the relationships, because these are gendered groups. We typically recommend three or four men together or three or four women together in these groups for being able to build the type of relationships and friendships that you need. So you may be like, I don't feel qualified. Great. We have something for you. So. Our friends at Doxa Church um, have put together these phenomenal uh, guides. 
These are, if you have not just getting started in a DNA group, like I don't even know what to do. Boom. There's this DNA launch group. This is a six week guide. Say, I don't even know what to do. This will do it for you. So you don't have to be an expert at anything. You can just say, hey, I'll take this and we'll just read this together and we'll just go through this together. If you're already in a DNA and you need a little bit of a refresher, they put together a foundations guide. This is one that you're already in a group, you already have an understanding of it. This is just going to strengthen it. Because remember, koinonia, partnership, fellowship, is friendships where you co-labor alongside one another. If the mission is to be a disciple and to make disciples, then we do that in relationship and in partnership with one another. And what's amazing about how God works is that the friendship is the co-laboring. Because when you are good friends, good neighbors, you, you see something that is not in line with the gospel and you're like, hey, What's going on with this? Why? Why? Tell me the reason why this is. And what's amazing when you get in those relationships is they hold a mirror up to your face and you're like, oh, is that really how I sound? Like, oh, that's ugh. It's like you see seen vulnerable in ways. And shame is going to want to come in and say, oh, you feel that way. You should probably run away because they're not safe. And what you should do is actually lean in and say, no, this person Because they are loved by Christ, because they're learning to grow in Christ, I can trust them. And trust is built. You don't want to open up everything right away. That's going. But that's the work. Koinonia is friendship and co-laboring. This is a a, a quote by a guy named G. Walter Hansen. He says this. Actually, let me read verse 6. Because I want to remind you, this is not your work that accomplishes this. This is joining with the work of God that he's already up to. Because what does verse 6 say? I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion at that day or at the day of Jesus Christ. Who is the one that began the work in Philippi? Jesus did. He was the one pursuing. He was the one in front of. So Paul is saying, hey, I know that as you go about that work, the one who began it in you, the one who drew you, the one that wooed you to the gospel, the one that saved you, the same one that did that in you personally will also be the one that carries it to completion. (laughs) Relax. You don't have to drive it. You don't have to force it. Jesus is already at work. So what are we doing? We're joining him who started the work. He's already at it. He's already pursuing. He's already drawing. He's already convicting. That's the spirit's job. Our job is to join him in the work that he began. And this is not just a personal text. This is not just saying what he started in me, he will carry to completion in me. While that is true, this is bigger than that. This is what Walter Hansen says. He says the work of God, the work, good work that God began was the formation of a corporate identity or entity. 
Those who belong to this koinonia enjoy a friendship deeper than the blood relationship of brothers and sisters on the basis of their mutual participation in the saving work of Christ announced in the gospel. Their koinonia as friends is also their koinonia as partners in the work of proclaiming the gospel. But notice that first line, corporate entity. What is he saying? He's saying who, the one who carried out, the, who began a good work in us, not just in me. That's what he's saying. The koinonia or the, excuse me, the, he who began the good work is a corporate us text. He who began a good work in Soma Federal Way will carry it to completion. He who started a good work in Philippi, in Ephesus, in Thessalonica. What he's saying is, God, this, this work that he's doing is not just in you and your personal discipleship. It's in us collectively as the body of Christ. There is no such thing as a perfect church. A fully mature church that's got it all figured out. That's perfectly living in line with the mission of Jesus. There's no one that's not in process yet. What Paul's prayer here is he's saying that he's going to carry what he started here among us to completion whenever he returns. That's his decision, his act, his desire. So what do we do in DNA groups and together? We say, okay, God, you started this. What do you want us to do now? What are you up to? Where are you at work? How can we build friends and co-labor alongside of you? Because when is the completion of all this? Twice in this passage, it says the day of Christ. It's when he returns. So that means that you and I personally are in process to growing up in Christ until Jesus either takes you to be with him or he returns. Like, oh man, I can't get over this thing in my life. Well, you got the rest of your life to work on it. He's not done. He's still at work in you. He's still drawing those areas of, of, that are not in line with the gospel. He's still pulling that out and showing you the goodness of the gospel and changing your heart. Why we get DNA groups so we can join him? But he's also doing that in us. The collective Soma Federal Way family, you could say even our partnership in the gospel in the city. He's changing the church in our city, in our region. I mean, koinonia is why we're going to Lifeway next weekend. It's partnership in the gospel. It's, it's not just here in our local expression of our family, but it's regionally. It's beyond that. And I can go on and on about that. And I'm not going to take the time to do that. But this is where I want to land the plane where we go to communion is this. He who began a good work in us. He who started something in us. He who pursued you before you had any understanding. He's the same one that's going to finish the job. Rest. Breathe. 
Relax. There's no ang- don't be anxious about anything. What does he say in Philippians? But in all things, in prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. Why do we make our requests known to him? Because he's got it. Why am I not fearful about what God's going to do in Soma Fedoway? Because God's got it. Been a hard couple years. We've had over 40 families move at some form in the last four or five years. That's a lot. Okay? Like, what's going on? What are you doing? What's others? Ah! Hmm. God's got it. He's got it. There's all this stuff going on in my heart. I don't, I, there's this and that. God's got it. He sees you. He knows. He's present. He's patient. He's loving and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, as he revealed to Moses. So we, as we co-labor, we're joining him. He's the one that's going about it. He's the one that's going to carry it to completion. He's the one. And so the invitation is to believe. The invitation is to then say, okay, God, I want to join you. Why? Because of what he did on the cross and why we go to the table. His body broken, his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. What he began in us is him paying the penalty of our sin on the cross so that we could now become children of God. Now I am a beloved child. You are a beloved son and daughter of God when you profess faith in him. You who were once an enemy are are now beloved. And you now get to be reminded of the goodness of God in the table. So when you go to the table, you take a piece of bread, remembering his body broken. This is what he began. His bloodshed, forgiveness of our sin is why we dip it. And so what I want you to do is I want you to just go to the, the table, take the elements. Remember what he began in you. Go back to the foundation of our faith. But then ask the question, God, what are you still doing in me? And what are you still doing in us? Do I need friends? Am I, am I needing to like follow in obedience and join a DNA group and get in those relationships and find one? If you're not in one, talk to me, talk to Jeff today. Let's get you in something where you can start to grow and join God in that work. Maybe it's just you just need to say, okay, God's doing the work. I just need to rest. I don't know. But I want you to go to the table to remember what he began. This is why. His body broken, his blood shed. And he's doing something in completion. So my invitation is to do that personally right now. Think about what he started in you. And tonight when we come together, I'm gonna, we're going to ask the question, what does this mean for us? What is he carrying into completion in us? And that's why we listen. So let me pray. Go to the table. Take the elements. If you, um, usually we get you in small groups. Just go ahead and take the elements. Make this a reflective moment if I, uh, if I can invite you to do that. And then we'll sing some songs together. So Father, we thank you. Thank you for the partnership that you've invited us into. Thank you that you, in your grace and kindness began the work that we are now called friends of God as you say in John we are your friends 
And we're co-laborers, co-heirs with Christ. And so thank you that you began that. May we walk in that right now. Holy Spirit, would you bring to mind a gratitude of what you began in us? And I also invite Jesus that you bring to mind by your spirit what you're still at work doing. Where we're not yet complete. Where we can join you. We can follow your lead. Where we can submit to your lordship. We thank you. We go to the table in your name. Amen.